So we are in the third uh, Sunday of Advent, so we're not meeting next week, as, as you heard in the announcements. Um, and we've talked about, if, you've been, if you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, or if you have and just um, not been uh, taking notes and going back over them daily to remember my wisdom, uh, I'll remind you that um, Advent is this, this season where uh, we are doing this kind of dual thing where we are remembering where Israel was before the Messiah came, uh, the longing for the king to come who would set things right, and also uh, considering where we are now, awaiting the Messiah's return uh, when he will finish the work he began. And so I've said something along the lines of knowing our past uh, and knowing the future that we anticipate and hope for helps situate us in the present. Uh, this past week, my wife read a Christmas carol uh, to the kids, and then um, I did the less impressive thing and watched the Muppets Christmas Carol with the kids, um, and which is which is wonderful. It is just uh, great. Um, but I thought uh, because we're in Advent, as I watched the Christmas Carol, I thought, oh, this is kind of like an individual um, who is looking at his past and looking at his future, uh, and you see at the end of it how it reorients his present. Uh, And so Advent is doing something like that on a cosmic, big picture scale. Knowing uh, uh, where we have been and where we are going helps us think about uh, how we orient ourselves now. Advent is very much about, um, at least in my uh, understanding, Advent is not merely a season of excitement, although it has that with it, but it's also this call to orient our lives appropriately. The king is coming to finish the work he's begun, uh, and so we need to um, live accordingly. So we will start, uh, as we have the past few weeks, um, with this confession, and then um, last Sunday, after I thought I did a good job in class. I was talking to my wife, which always helps, and she says, you know, you need to get more people involved, uh, because apparently my wife was bored of hearing me talk, and I thought, I know, I know, I'm just not a planner. So this week I planned ahead so I could ask uh, Matt and Mary Hearn and Randall and Del Wilcher uh, to, um, to help with this. So uh, let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. All right. Matt and Mary, if you'll come up. Josh asked me to read Psalm 146 and to talk a little bit about what it made me think about. Um, I think it's helpful before we read that to, to remember what Josh just suggested about the way Advent reorients us. And to the same extent, the reading of Scripture is also always a, a reorientation process. And particularly with Psalm 146, it's designed as an orientation psalm. Psalm 146, along with the next four, are the last five psalms 
in the last section of the Psalms. And they're all of a piece. They're called the Hallelujah Psalms because in Hebrew they all begin with that, that phrase in Hebrew, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And each ends with that same phrase, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. So every one of the Psalms is bookended with those words. And these Psalms end the book of Psalms. So I'll read it first. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphans and the widows. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. As I mentioned, this psalm is designed to reorient reorient everyone who's listening to these words being sung. It opens inwardly. The singer of the psalm talks to himself first. He says, O my soul, praise the Lord. Remember to praise the Lord. The Hallelujah bookends on this particular psalm remind me of something fundamental about directing my attitude toward life as I know it. It reminds me that the way I should look at life daily over the course of my entire life, all my days, is an orientation of praise. Now, as someone who's, I'd like to say, approaching senior citizenship, I am fairly cynical these days about how things get run everywhere from uh, my house to, to my job to my government to the world, the way most senior citizens seem to be. <laughs> but this psalm reminds me to take the longer, better, holier view. The biblical perspective reminds me to pay attention to the image of the perfect government, to the perfect leader. <clears throat> God is the ruler. His government looks like this. This is how he works. And to be a citizen in his kingdom is to participate in those works. And it begins with praise of the God who loves the righteous, who executes justice, who keeps faith, who feeds the hungry, who sets the prisoners free. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And it ends by opening outward. Zion, people of God, praise the Lord.
in the Advent season, this is the week of joy. Um, the first two weeks were hope and peace. So my passage um, is Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. And I would ask you to uh, not follow along with me, but close your eyes. And try not to listen so carefully to what every verse might mean exactly historically or uh, how you're supposed to interpret it. But really what I would like you to do is try to think about how this entire passage makes you feel about the hope and the peace and the joy to be found in being redeemed. So the title of this passage is Joy of the Redeemed. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be a way for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Thank you for uh, both of you for that. Um, in the the psalm that Matt read, I I love that uh, the way he draws our attention to. Um, the reign of the Lord. You get this language at the end of verse 10. The Lord will reign forever. And a vision of what that looks like. And how that invites us uh, to long for that. And Mary so nicely um, uh, reminds us that it's not only how we think, uh, but that the way uh, our hearts are shaped 
matter as well. Uh, so uh, when we listen and pay attention to the, the feelings this might evoke, uh, there is a very important aspect of that in studying Scripture. James K. A. Smith, um, he, he talks about how uh, often uh, we go in our lives in directions uh, that aren't necessarily where we think we should. So we might think one way, this is the right way to live, this is the good life, whatever it might be, this is what God calls me to. And yet we find our lives pulled in another direction. And according to Smith, part of, of the reason we do that is, is it's, the, um, it's because we're led by our hearts, not just our minds. Uh, and so it's not uh, we only care about the heart or we only care about the mind, but we, we attend to both uh, as thoughtful Christians. Uh, and so we listen to passages like this and let them stir something inside of us so that our heart will be directed to the true north uh, and we might go accordingly. Um, and then um, the... The, um, maybe the more um, I don't know, left brain side that I tend to reminds me when I read Isaiah um, that the prophets have this practice that's very fitting in Advent of holding together uh, both judgment and hope, both punishment and restoration. It's not either or for the prophets. So Isaiah 35 um, we get this kind of reversal language of what's come in the chapters previous to this, where punishment and consequences are coming. And so you hear this especially in Isaiah 35, verse 4. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Let me read that again. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance. With terrible recompense, he will come and save you. Uh, this kind of tension shows up throughout the prophets and even in Jesus' own ministry. Uh, and so as we await the king, both as we uh, align ourselves with the people of Israel, how they awaited the king, and even now, uh, we are reminded that um, how our lives are oriented will shape uh, perhaps what we feel as we hear this. Um, and so that uh, Advent season is not only about uh, the excitement, although it can be about the excitement of things being set right, of the King coming, uh, but it's also a time of introspection and um, seeing if there might be places where we are needing to get our lives in order. Uh, and so if Lauren will... Uh, because I'm tone deaf, lead us in Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Um, would you like to come up here? I don't, okay, no, she would not. <laughs> come thou long
Unlike Mary, I would like for you to turn to James, the fifth chapter, and that's not to say anything. I think that's great to have readings that we're contemplating, but I would love, this passage is, is small, but it's pregnant with feeling, and there's a lot in there, um, so I, I just want to, I want to say three things before we start about this. If you've ever been to Israel, <clears throat> when farmers in it, well, the Jerusalem church and the Jewish people and Christians, for that matter, all, we all live in a period of the already, but the not yet. There, So many things have happened, but yet we still look for something else. And this, this uh, passage is descriptive of, of the parousia when Christ returns. Um, but if you, if you ever, if you, the people in Israel, if you're a farmer, and I'm an agrarian, if you're a farmer in Israel and you plant crops, it is so much different than here. We get 50 inches of rainfall here in Middle Tennessee, okay? You can plant a crop and you can pretty well know in a couple of weeks we're going to get some rainfall and it's going to pop it out of the ground. In Israel, they get 90% of their water in the months of March and October. So if you ever go to Israel and they plan the trip in March and October, don't go. <laughs> but think about that as far as planting crops. The farmers have to plant with incredible faith. They work until the garden and they're in the already, but it's not yet. And sometimes they don't know if it's ever going to be yet. The other thing I want you to hear before I read this passage is about the prophets. Because the prophets uh, are the heroes of Israel because the prophets saw things that God wanted them to see that the people could not see and they wailed they wailed at the people constantly but they weren't wailing for the people they were wailing for God God has said I'm going to do something but have faith that I'm going to do it let's read be patient then brothers until the Lord's coming how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the fall and the spring rains. You too be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I'll be reading Mary's song. And for those of you that were in first service, we just sang this. So if I break into song, y'all just join in with me. <laughs> my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, the Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inner, inmost thoughts and has brought down rulers from their thrones. But He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. But He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So a few thoughts on these 
two passages. Uh, we'll start with, with James. I did not know that about the, uh, the rainfall. Uh, that, that really adds to, uh, to how you hear this. Uh, and I love that you brought in the already not yet aspect of this. Uh, in fact, um, the language there, uh, like in verse 8, the Lord is near, or verse 9, the judge is standing at the doors. This is what's called perfect tense in the Greek, so it's like you could almost uh, translate it, the Lord has drawn near, uh, the Lord uh, has been standing. It's something not just um, in the future, but it, it's like um, it's, it's here, right now, in the present. It's already making effect. Um, as, we, as we hear James's advice, be patient until the coming of the Lord, it's important, I think, that we hear this in its context. Um, right before uh, this passage that Randall read to us, uh, James has um, promised judgment against the oppressors. It's a kind of woe to you section. Woe to you who take advantage uh, of the laborers, uh, withholding pay from them. Uh, judgment is coming. And so after this uh, declaration of judgment against the oppressor, oppressors, uh, those um, who take uh, advantage of the just one, uh, James then tells them, Be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. What does it mean to be patient uh, if they are in the midst of experiencing oppression? Uh, does this mean uh, just sit and take it? Uh, is this about passivity? Uh, or is maybe something else going on here? As we are in the already and not yet, uh, others of you or many of you in this room are probably experiencing your own kinds of things uh, where you know that there is brokenness. Maybe it is something that is a consequence of your own wrongdoing, and maybe it is just part of the brokenness of the world. Uh, and hearing the words, be patient, might not sound very comforting. In fact, it might sound the opposite if we hear this wrongly, as in just get over it, deal with it. Uh, but I don't think that is James's advice here. Uh, when he points to the farmer, the farmer doesn't just wait by sitting on his hands for the crop to grow. The farmer works. He's pulling weeds. Uh, he's toiling out there. His waiting is not sitting around. It is a kind of active waiting. It is an expectant waiting. It's a patience that knows uh, that it's coming. I can count on this, so I'm going to act accordingly. And when in verse 10, uh, James says, As an example of suffering and patience, patience, take the prophets. Now, if you've read the prophets, you know that their kind of waiting is not just, oh, well, whatever kind of thing. The prophets speak against the oppressors. Uh, they have strength in their hearts and speak boldly, and they live faithfully. When we hear, be patient and strengthen your hearts, it is not, it's no big deal, just get over it, suck it up. Instead, it's this call to endure. Yes, things are not as they should be. Yes, like the prophets, you might say, God, where are you right now? You seem so distant. When are you going to act as the prophets do, as the psalmists do? But their kind of patience is this strengthening of your hearts where you seek to endure in the midst of difficulty because you hope, not in this kind of warm, fuzzy hope, but in this confident expectation that things will be set right. So even in the midst of brokenness, you will continue on. 
Strengthen your hearts. It's that kind of patience. And it's the opposite. The opposite of what's found a few verses earlier when there are some who are fattening their hearts. The oppressors are fattening their hearts. Ethru fesate tas cardias humon. They are fattening their hearts for the day of slaughter. And James says, no, strengthen your hearts. Stay rizate tas cardias humon. Strengthen your hearts because the king will come. The Lord is near. The judge is standing at the door. Endure, even if it is hard. That is the kind of patience we are called to. As Dell brings us uh, to the Magnificat, uh, one of the the greatest poetic hymnal pieces, whatever you might call it, I think, in the New Testament. Um, In its literary context, um, this is the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And even if you heard this, you might have in mind um, how Hannah sang a similar song way back in 1 Samuel. There's so much overlap with this beautiful song that Hannah sings. Uh, And ironically enough, Hannah has this kind of special birth of a child, and her child is going to be the one who anoints King David. And through King David's lineage is going to come Jesus. So appropriately so, Mary's song sounds a bit like Hannah's song. Um, As the Gospel of Luke opens up, we, we begin in the temple. Uh, and an angel shows up to Zechariah. Here is a priest in the temple. Uh, and the angel says to Zechariah that even though he and his wife are in their old age and barren, they will have a son. Uh, and it kind of echoes another great uh, promise that God made when he started the people of Israel. Uh, he shows up to this couple who seems to be past the age of having kids, and this is the beginning of some great new movement. And we have something similar here happening in the temple with God showing up um, and speaking through this angel to Zechariah in the temple. And Zechariah, this guy who should know these stories of Abraham, who is in this, in Jerusalem, in the city, not only that, but in the temple, this rare moment for Zechariah, his response, how will I know? You should know, Zechariah, because an angel is standing here at the temple, and God has done something like this before. And then the scene shifts, and we get a very similar announcement. But instead of being in this great city of Jerusalem, we are in Podunk, Nazareth. We are not in the temple, uh, but the angel is showing up to Mary, not to a priest, not to a male, but to this female virgin who seems to have almost no social status from the outside looking in, from that first century culture. Who is she? Why does she matter? And she is told not simply that she will have a baby through the normal means, as Elizabeth and Zechariah might, although they are aged. She is going to have a baby in a way that's unprecedented in the story of Israel. No one has a baby without having sex. That doesn't happen. And so her response is not, how will I know? Like, prove it. Her response is, how can this be? It's, it's a response of faith. Okay, what are the logistics of this? Uh, and then the angel tells her, and he honors her request. Whereas the angel told Zechariah, you want to know how you'll know? You don't get to ask any more questions until the baby comes. <laughs> the angel explains as much as might be explained to Mary. And then Mary gets this kind of opening speech that sets up the whole gospel of Luke. It sets up the life of Jesus. And she proclaims 
what God has done and what God is going to do. And in the meantime, this is that reorienting thing uh, that Matt is getting us at. The world might look at Zechariah and think, he is the one who's got it all together. And look at Mary and think, she should probably not be paid much attention to right now. And instead, things get flipped. Because God is not ultimately concerned with the things that that first century culture is concerned with, those markers of status, whether it be uh, your social role or uh, being male or being older or being in the temple, all the kind of things that might be tied to status, it's getting flipped on its head and it's like God's saying, no, what I'm ultimately interested in is one who will be faithful. And this is what Mary represents. And then she bursts forth in song and she says things, like this. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And if we jump down to verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. She does this past tense language thing. Uh, which is perfect for where we are in Advent. She is looking back at the story of Israel and can say, I know who this God is, and I know what he's done. I know what he has done to Egypt, and I know what he's done for Israel. I know how he has brought the mighty down, those who seem uh, like they might not be able to be defeated, those who might seem invincible and so strong, he has brought down and humbled them, and those who might seem lowly, and unimportant, he has lifted up. This is such a recurring theme in the story of Israel. But as she speaks here at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, in this past tense language, it's, it's, she's not just looking back, God has done this, but she's also looking ahead, and she can speak in past tense language because it's like a foregone conclusion. God is doing it again. This is not he might. This is so uh, certain that we're talking about it as though it's already done. With Jesus coming with Emmanuel, with God with us, we can say he has once again shown strength. He has once again scattered the proud. He has once again brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. And it calls us to reorient our lives accordingly. As Mary responds with praise, she leads us to expect that what God did in the past for Israel, he will do anew through Jesus. And if we've been paying attention, uh, we know that God isn't simply going to repeat himself, although it's going to be maybe in the same, um, the same kind of theme. But he's not simply repeating himself. He's doing something even greater through Jesus. And so this gets us maybe thinking at the beginning of Luke about how God is going to, quote, reveal the depth of his mercy and the magnitude of his strength. We might be considering by what mechanisms is Jesus, this child born, this king, by what mechanisms will this king pull down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly? Through what means will this newborn king fill the hungry and send the rich away empty? And exactly how is this Jesus going to remember God's promises to Abraham and Israel? Promises of land, and descendants, and to bless the nations. It will be similar to the kind of work God has done, but it will be something new, something unexpected. And those of us who know where the story goes are invited to align ourselves accordingly. The way that Jesus kind of led us 
and caring and bringing restoration, we are to follow. So, as we await the king to come and finish what he's begun, we will, for the last time as a group in this Advent season, um, sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Come, O Come, So we are about to confess the Apostles' Creed. Uh, This statement of faith of the church has been uh, saying across uh, the nations, across generations. Um, And if you're visiting, uh, some people get kind of choked up on the language, one holy Catholic church. Uh, Here, Catholic, lowercase c, as universal. And when we say communion of saints, that's a confession of the fellowship of believers. It's not about uh, really holy people who died a long time ago, uh, but this is all of us. All of us in here are God's holy people, not because we have done something to make us holy, but because Jesus makes us holy. And in some crazy, miraculous way that we can't even begin to to, um, ever deserve, uh, Jesus uh, is united with us, and His goodness and His wholeness Um, becomes ours. Uh, And so we can think of ourselves as part of this communion of saints. Now that's something you get a little choked up on because it's so hard to believe. Me? Part of the communion of saints? But that's why we confess it. Not alone, but to each other. Because we need to hear from one another that yes, you are part of this with your brokenness, um, with your ongoing sins, because of Jesus, not because of you. You can be part of this communion of saints. And as we look forward to this hope, we do so um, and we confess this because our hope is based on who God is, who Jesus is, what He has done, what He has overcome. So, let us confess the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We say this um, at our breakfast table uh, many mornings, and the kids enjoy it because this is the part where they get to look each other in the eye and try not to giggle, as we're trying to get them to confess it to one another. And perhaps as we continue in this, um, we can do that kind of awkward, beautiful thing uh, as well. And now let's pray uh, the Lord's Prayer together, and we'll use the traditional language. Let us pray. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So as I close us out uh, with this final prayer um, that uh, Matt helped me realize that I'd been mispronouncing. I had called it collect, but apparently it's collect. Am I saying it right there? Uh, if you've ever been corrected by Matt, you'll know it's a wonderful experience where uh, he uh, is afraid he's going to hurt your feelings, but also feels like it's important to tell you. So um, he will correct you and then apologize for correcting you. Uh, it's a very sweet kind of thing. So, um, Say it again. Collect, right? Collect. So the emphasis collect. Collect. So the emphasis is on the O. Correct? You know how, how we say perfume, unless we're from Texas, and we say perfume. <laughs> so it's the same with collect. When, when we talk about collecting taxes, we say collect. But when we're talking about that thing that's a prayer for everyone together, it's a collect. College. There we go. College. There we go. Yeah. So I know. I uh, you know there are things like that, and you think, well, how many times have I said that on a recording? Uh, so uh, you know, between Matt and my wife, uh, humility is uh, not no. Um, Communion of saints, thank you, well well done. Uh, Let me pray this prayer over you all, and then uh, as I've been encouraging you, um, take this prayer with you, pin it on, uh, well, pin it, you can't pin it on your mirror, Uh, you can tape it on your mirror, uh, pray it daily, uh, as I think it's, it's very fitting in this season of Advent. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us, And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Go in peace.